We want to welcome to the show Chris Duhon. Chris was a former NCAA Division I basketball player who played for the Duke University Blue Devils, where he won an NCAA championship his freshman year. He then went on to play in the NBA in 2004 for the Chicago Bulls, the Los Angeles Lakers, the Orlando Magic, and the New York Knicks. After that, in 2014, Duhon was hired by first-year head coach Dan D'Antoni as an assistant at Marshall University. D'Antoni previously coached him as an assistant in New York and Los Angeles. On this episode, we talked about mental health. We talked about depression. We talked about things that he went through as a basketball player while he was in the NBA. This is not an episode you want to miss out on. So subscribe, tune in, and listen, because this episode was filled with gems. Thank you, Chris, for your time, and we hope that you all enjoy the Talk Your Exposure podcast. Welcome to another edition of Talk Your Exposure. And today's guest, we are very excited to have on the show. Somebody that I've been able to watch play because I'm a fan of the college team he went to. I'm a big fan because I also want him to come to Toronto as well, which we're going to dive into a bit later on. But before I introduce my guest for today, I want to give a big shout out to my co-host, Devontae Campbell. You are missed, my guy. We miss you. <clears throat> Obviously, we got you got work obligations. And I know you'd rather be here than be at work. But it's okay. We got you covered anyways, and no need to worry about that. But our guest today, like I mentioned, is someone that I grew up watching, someone that I grew up taking a lot of interest in, and I'm very happy to be able to have him on the show today. Former NBA basketball player, former Division One basketball <clears throat> player, and hopefully a great great guy to be able to talk with today. Chris Duhon, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm alive. Can't complain. Again, thank you for taking some time to talk to us today, and we're looking forward to having a great show. I want to start the show off today, though, with a game called Overrated, Underrated. We're going to talk about rivalries today. All right, so for, first thing that comes to your mind related to Overrated, Underrated, I'm going to start you off right in the right way possible. Duke, UNC, is that overrated or underrated? Underrated. <laughs> Why is it underrated? <laughs> uh, I mean, because, I mean, to be a part of it, you like people, it's hard to explain, like being a part of that rivalry. Uh, something that uh, you know you have to 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 be a part of to really understand the magnitude of it uh, is I think is one of the best rivalries in sports and uh, you know it doesn't matter if one team is having a great year or, or a bad year uh, you know when those two teams play it's, it's going to be a battle it's going to be a war and it's going to it's going to mean something for a lot of the uh, for the players and also the communities around it so. Um, I think it's underrated just because it's such a great rivalry, and uh, you know, once you're a part of it and and you experience it, you understand it. Now I want to know about this rivalry because this is another rivalry that's great in sports too: Yankees, Red Sox. Uh, underrated. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those same things, just because I mean they've been doing it for for years and years and years, and uh, you know, both organizations are you know usually pretty really good and. Uh, they have to go through each other to <laughs> to uh, to get to their ultimate goal, which is uh, you know obviously division championships and and World Series. So um, I think that rivalry is underrated as well. But I gotta know though, what about the Celtics Lakers? Is that one overrated or is that underrated? Uh, I think it's overrated. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. Even though, like you know, obviously in the '80s with Magic and Bird. Uh, I mean, I think during that time it would have been underrated, uh, you know, and then there was this <clears throat> the brief stretch, you know, with Paul Pierce and those guys and uh, with Kobe and, 
you know, Gasol and those guys. But, uh, you know, other than that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of tough, especially one, they're in, you know, two different conferences. So they only meet twice a year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if they're not playing, you know, in, in the championship game, then, you know, there's no really other meaningful games between those two guys. I love the way <clears throat> that you described that. But speaking of two people who would always go head to head, a little bit back to the baseball side for a second, but I want to ask you, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, the home run with the home run competition. Man, <laughs> you know, that was it overrated or underrated? Overrated, uh, underrated. Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> one. I mean, it's only tough. It's only tough because of the scandals and you don't know what's true or not. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'll was, I was say underrated because I'm still, you know, one of those that, I mean, you still have to hit the ball out the park. I mean, yep. even if you are on steroids and all that other type of stuff, um, you know, you still have to have the hand-eye coordination. And, you know, when the when your pitch comes, still be able to, you know, hit the ball out the park. So, uh, you know, it was tough for me because I, you know, you know, I'm a baseball fan as well. So I remember Mark McGuire at the Bash Brothers with him and Jose Canseco mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, obviously with, uh, you know, being from Louisiana, uh, you know, we don't have, uh, at that time, there was only professional team we had was the, uh, the Saints. So, but, you know, you always had WGN, which was all the Chicago teams, which was, you know, Cubs, White Sox and uh, Bulls. And then you had TBS, which was, the, you know, the Hawks, the Braves, you know, that. So, you know, it was always watching those games. So, I think it was underrated, again, because, you know, one, they were chasing each other. It was going back and forth throughout the year. So you were, you know, if you didn't see the game, you the first thing you're doing is watching Sports Center to see mm-hmm. if any of those guys hit a home run. So um, I will go with underrated. I like it. I like it. See, I had, I had to give you a different different variety because I knew you yeah. like baseball. <laughs> I know you like basketball. I had to mix it up yeah. for you a little bit. But I want to ask you, though, obviously, you know, with it, with such great robberies, always comes some, thing, some things that are – you know, that hurt us a little bit or take away from what we're supposed to be doing. 2020 was a year that started everything with a pandemic, Kobe's death. You know, we can go down the line of of what happened in that year. And it's been a very bad couple years in that sense. But, But the one thing for me, the positive thing for me was a lockdown that was actually allowing us to kind of refresh a little bit and reset our minds. What are some things that you were able to focus on during those lockdowns that you didn't really have time for before? Oh, well, I mean, I think the main thing is family, you know, especially when you're in an industry in sports, like, you know, the sacrifice that your family has to make with you, one, you know, your training, your preparation, being with the team, traveling, uh, you know, those type of things for you to, like you said, kind of reset and just really enjoy being, you know, with your family, like, you know, those guys who are husbands and fathers and, you know, uh, you know, wives and mothers, like, you know, really had a chance for a couple months just to kind of be home and be there for their significant others, you know, and their children. So I think, you know, that's one of the positive things is that, you know, you know, kids, you know, depending on their age, don't really understand completely, you know, the sacrifices, you know, an athlete has to make uh, in order to be, you know, really good at their craft. So, you know, for that, that time period for them to be home and, and on a consistent basis, you know, I think that was, uh, you know, something that was, that came out, that was positive, you know, in, in tough times. 
No, for sure. And, and, and obviously like a lot of, a lot of things that we kind of go through as, as humans, is we're always on the go. Like you said, especially in the sports yeah. world, go, 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 go. We never have a moment to actually bank and, 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 and refresh ourselves to say, you know what, let's take a, let's, let's regather our thoughts and how can we do things a little bit better coaching, right. playing, you know, whatever it might be scouting, whatever it might be. Right. So for this, for me in particular, it was actually good for me to be able to kind of you know, take a take a step back and to be able to learn a little bit more about myself in that sense. But I want to know something about you, though. Where do you think your life would be if you didn't pursue sports? Oh, that's a good one. Um, hmm. That's tough because, I mean, you know, you know, sports was, you know, that one thing that kind of, uh, you know, kept you out of trouble, gave you something to do. You know, I played everything growing up, you know, football, basketball, baseball, ran track. So pretty much year-round thing for me, um, you know, because one, one sport ended, you know, you was going right into the other one. Um, you know, and, you know, sports taught me a lot of things just about life, becoming a man. Uh, work. Um, man, that's tough, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I think I will figure. I would have figured it out, um, but you know, I was so locked in and and keyed on you know what I wanted to do and and what I wanted to be, and you know, I just kind of put all my energy and focused on that. And you know, like you've heard, like you know, there was no plan B for me. You know, that was uh, the a dream of mine, and you know, I was doing everything I can to to accomplish that dream. Well, it was definitely a good thing that you decided to stick with basketball and decided to pursue your dreams. Because for university, you went to a school that I've been cheering on for quite some time. <laughs> you went to Duke University. But other than Duke, though, who else has been running for Chris Duhon? Uh, so, you know, my final five uh, uh, was uh, Duke, Kentucky, LSU, Texas, and uh, Notre Dame. Oh, wow. Uh, that, that was my... Yeah, that was my final five. Um, and, you know, just, you know, Duke just felt right and was like the perfect location for me, uh, both, you know, on the floor and off the floor. You know, that's a, it was a great academic school uh, with a lot of great contacts. So you could do a lot of networking and, you know, those things, you know, play a big part of, you know, especially now, you know, that my career, basketball career as far as playing is over. But, you know, the people that I've met there, the people that I continue to meet, uh, you know, that networking. And that's not to say that any other schools networking is not good as, as well. Uh, but, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a network system like, like Duke. No, for sure. And, and honestly, I've always wanted to be able to go to Duke and be able to, you know, shake your coach's hand. And that's, that's my dream. You know what I mean? So <laughs> definitely, I'm, I, 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 I envy you, but in a good way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm saying. <laughs> um, can you bring us to commitment day though when you signed your letter of intent how are you feeling in that moment knowing you're about to be a blue devil oh man you know I felt great I mean uh, you know I, I committed early uh, once I went on my visit to Duke you know I committed right there so you know I kind of got it out the way uh, you know early so I can focus on my senior year and uh, that basketball season as well so uh, you know, by the time that, you know, I, I was able to sign, which I don't remember the date, but I think it was in the spring, uh, you know, I was obviously really excited to get going. And, um, you know, first thing they sent was, you know, a summer workout book <laughs> booklet for me. So, 
you know, once I got that, it was looking at that and, you know, starting to do that workout program until I was able to get on campus. No, for sure. But I want to, I want to backtrack it a little bit. I want to go back to your high school career for one second. What was it like going to your games and seeing coach K in the building watching you play? Man, it was, you know, it was surreal. So, you know, you know, my story, uh, you know, was kind of different and it was kind of a dream, uh, you know, kind of a fairy tale in a way because, you know, Louisiana is, you know, a football state. And like, I, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, it's Saints and it's LSU football and then it's everything else. So, yeah. you know, basketball is not really high or at that time was not really high in. Uh, a priority as far as fans and things like that or being able to get recruited. Um, so, you know, I was fortunate after uh, my, my sophomore year, uh, we're playing in um, a playoff game. And <clears throat> uh, I, I lived in a small town right outside of New Orleans. Uh, I was called Slidell. And, you know, it was a small town. So everyone knows everyone. And, you know, come walking into the gym is, you know, this 6'11 kid and, you know, this older guy that's with them. And, you know, everyone's like, you know, who's that? Like, you know, they, they're definitely not from around here. Uh, where it ended up being uh, Jonathan Bender. Uh, okay. I don't remember who Jonathan Bender was. Uh, went straight out of high school, went yep. to the Pacers. Uh, Would have had a really good career. But he had some knee, chronic knee issues that kind of uh, kind of derailed his ear, uh, his career. Uh, he but cold. he... was cold. <clears throat> yeah, he lived in uh, Mississippi. He was literally like 45 minutes away from me. Uh, he lived in Mississippi, and the guy that was with him was Thaddeus Fouché, who worked with Adidas. And, you know, they had, like, their Adidas basketball AAU team, which he tried to get, you know, the best players from, you know, Louisiana and Mississippi put us together, and, you know, we compete against, you know, other top high school players in the country. And, you know, that's kind of where I got my break. And, you know, <clears throat> again, at that time, Jonathan was the number one player in the country, so – you know, every time we played, you know, every coach in America was there. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate at that time to, like, play really, really well. You know, that's when kind of my interests <clears throat> from school started to go uh, get noticed and things like that. And that's kind of when I had a real reality because, you know, my goal was to go to LSU mm -hmm. because I didn't think there was, you know, any other uh, possibility at that time for me to go anywhere else. And then uh, – or that was kind of the highest level, you know, LSU. But, you know, obviously they had like Tulane and uh, things like that that was in-state. Um, but then, you know, like I said, I played well that summer and, you know, started getting letters from, you know, pretty much almost every school. And then the summer after that, uh, you know, I, we had a really good team with, you know, Mo Williams and uh, – oh. just, Yeah, Justin Reed. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a squad. <laughs> and uh, – <laughs> And then it just, you know, just kind of blew up from there to where, you know, I and basically had the choice, you know, to pick any school, you know, that I wanted to go and play for. And um, so then that's kind of how it got, you know, became surreal because it was just like, you know, this is not normal, especially, you know, in our state. Like, you you know, I was very fortunate uh, for those two guys to walk into that gym and give me the opportunity to play on a higher stage in AAU because, Usually my tournaments that I would play with the AAU team was in Louisiana. Yeah. You know, the furthest we would go was Florida would be like a national championship type thing or in Texas. So, you know, everything was kind of pretty local. Uh, but then 
to play, you know, to be able to play in North Carolina, play in Vegas, play in California, you know, those type of things, you know, gave me the exposure uh, that, you know, I, I needed to be able to, you know, pick a school outside of Louisiana, if, you know, that been my choice. And, you know, obviously, you know, seeing, you know, Coach K and Johnny Dawkins and, you know, Steve Ojahowski and Chris mm -hmm. Collins and those guys at, you know, at the games, uh, you know, obviously it was, it was an honor and, you know, it was, uh, you know, a blessing as well. I'm not, I don't know about you and obviously you, but for me, if I saw Coach K at, at, at a, one of my games, I probably would have shot my pants, but that's not. <laughs> but I would keep that, I would keep that, you know, just between the two of us and our listeners. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I got to ask you, though, you know, obviously to be able to get a Division One scholarship, you need to be able to do well in school. So and, and, and on your SATs, ACTs whatever you take to be able to get into any type of university. The difference of Canada compared to the United States, your grade point average is 65 just to pass. Here in Canada, it's a 50% to pass. How hard was it? This is one of my kids' questions, actually. His name is Robbie. How hard was it to stay eligible in high school to be able to get this Division I scholarship, but on top of that, to be able to manage studying basketball, and if you did have a part-time job? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Uh, you know, it's tough. And then it's, uh, you know, one, I was very fortunate. My mom was high on education, you know, from, you know, when I was in first grade. So, uh, you know, whenever I started playing sports, like, you know, I had to have A's and B's, you know, in order to play. Like, if I had a C, you know, whatever sport it was at that time, like, she would not let me play. So, at a young age, you know, I developed a work ha habit and the understandings of how important education was. So, I, you know, I took that very seriously, uh, knowing that, you know, eventually when I do get to high school and have an opportunity to go to college, you know, grades will be very, very important. Um, you know, the balance, um, I think it's a little bit kind of easier in high school, uh, you know, just because, you uh, the basketball and it could be it could change now I don't know what it how it is now but it wasn't um uh, as demanding um as it is like once you get to college so you know for me you know we usually had like seven hour PE which was like the last class of the day mm -hmm. which basically turned into you know everybody on the basketball team had seventh hour PE so that was basically our practice time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we'll practice a little bit afterwards. And then, you know, you were done. Everything else that you did was was on you. You know, if you wanted to go and lift some more or, or play, you know, at the park or whatever, work on your game, you know, that was up to you to kind of, you know, the, you know manage your time and, and get those things done. And, uh, you know, I, I worked a little bit and obviously that was tough. But again, uh, you know, usually I would do that in the summers, um, do that during kind of football season, um, if, because then once basketball season kind of got going, uh, you know, that was kind of my yeah. main focus. But, you know, I just kind of took pride understanding the repercussions of, you know, not having the grades, you know, to be able to perform. Like, I didn't want to be a guy that had to be redshirted or have to go on academic probation just because, uh you know, I wasn't disciplined enough to get my schoolwork done. And, 
you know, that's, you know, that's very important, especially leading into going into college when basketball is more demanding and, you know, you, you know, you have the choice to go to class or not go to class. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> technically <laughs> you have the choice to go to class and not go to class. Um, but uh, yeah, so I learned at a, at a learn age and, and it just comes to the part about, you know, being responsible, you know, like, I, you know, I didn't love school, but I knew it was a means to an end. So I knew that, you know, I had to do well in this for me to be able to play basketball, you know, at the highest level. And, you know, that was my goal. So the sacrifices of not really liking school was, hey, this is something I need to get done. I'm not going to do it just to get by. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to do the best that I possibly can in it. And I think that's just my comp my competitive spirit as well. Yeah. And just knowing that I didn't want anything, you know, minor as far as not having grades be a setback for me not being able to pursue my dreams. One thing that, that always <clears throat> kept me motivated when it came to school, don't get me wrong, I was just like you. I didn't like, I didn't really like school. I always wanted to be on the court. I wanted to hoop. I wanted to get into games. I didn't really enjoy the school aspect of it. But my biggest thing was I didn't want to be embarrassed. I never wanted to be embarrassed mm -hmm. in front of, oh, everyone else is getting 70s, 80s, 90s, and I'm here getting 60s. I never want to be embarrassed that yeah. that kid to not go to class and everyone else is going to class. I didn't want to be embarrassed that mm -hmm. maybe one day the teacher is going to pick on me to, because I'm the one that, you know, didn't go to class or missed a, an important assignment or whatever it was, and everyone else is excelling and doing well. That's the one thing that kept me motivated in particular, especially as a freshman in, in university and a freshman in college. But I want to know for you, though, for, for you as a freshman in college, did you have any expectations going in on and off the court? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously on the court, uh, you know, I wanted to be the best player I could be. Um, I knew we had a team that was uh, really talented and had a chance to win a national championship. Um, you know, and, you know, off the court, you know, I was just learning. You know, now, you know, you're living on your own. You have to make your own meals. You you're in charge of your, your time management. You have to do your schoolwork. Uh, you know, you're meeting new people, you know, these type of things. So um, off the court, I didn't have any expectations. It was kind of just kind of taking it all in and learning on the fly as it, as it went. Uh, you know, but, you know, kind of the piggyback of what you're talking about with off the court and on school, you know, it was kind of one of those things. I don't, I know mean, I was just like you, you know, I didn't want to be the dumb job, you know, because or the guy that was, Oh, you're just here because you can play basketball, and uh, you know, you know, as a as a, a man, like you have pride, and you know, you want to go and prove your doubters wrong that you can do both. And you know, is it tough? Yeah, it's definitely tough. But you know, so is life. And um, you know, so I kind of took that mindset, and you know, again, that's just the competitiveness that's in me. To hey, I'll, I'm gonna be able to still do my schoolwork, and at the same time, be able to perform you know, at a high level on the basketball end as well. No, for sure. And, and honestly, you guys did just that. You mentioned earlier, you said that, you know, you, you had an opportunity to go in there and, you know, win an NCAA championship. As a freshman, I, should, I might add, <laughs> you won an NCAA championship. I want you to walk yeah. us through the preparation leading to the tournament and throughout until the championship game. Yeah, so we, you know, we had a, uh, a wild, wild ride and that's actually, you know, had to deal with some adversity. So, uh, you know, at that time, I mean, you know, we were really good all year. Uh, you know, 
Uh, I think we only lost to Stanford. Uh, we lost to at Virginia. And then we, uh, did we lose? I don't think, so we hadn't lost to anybody else until we played Maryland uh, for uh, our senior night, our last home game in Cameron. And um, Carlos Boozer, who was on our team, had broke his foot. Uh, he broke his foot in the game. And, you know, you know, he was, you know, a big piece for us as far as, you know, our inside presence. Um, you know, he was our best big man, can score, do a lot of things for us. And, you know, for him going down, that, that kind of was a shock for all of us. Um, or kind of like a, oh, man, like, you know, we kind of started feeling sorry for ourselves. So we ended up losing that game. And then the next game is Carolina <laughs> at Carolina, who I think uh -oh. at the time was number one, number one in that country. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we're out boozer. They're saying he's out like, you know, three weeks or something like that. You know, we have Carolina and then after that is ACC tournament and then the tournament. Uh -oh. And, you know, we're just like, oh man, this season's over. Like we had a really good chance now without booze, you know, like things are looking, you know, slim, like, you know, we can't win. And, you know, after that Maryland game, the next day we had practice and, you know, Coach K came in there upbeat, confident, you know, understanding that we, he knew that we were down. He came in upbeat, confident, and was like, you know, hey, guys, if you guys believe in me and trust in me and do what I say, you know, we're going to win a national championship. And, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, I'm a freshman at this time. So I'm, you know, in my head, I'm like, come on, coach, man, we just lost see booze. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, come on, like, come on, man. Like, so we had practice. And, you know, we were all of us were kind of going through the motions. So we got kicked out, kicked out of practice, came back the next morning, said the same thing again. Like, hey, man, you guys believe in me, this and that. So, you know, we had a team meeting, Shane, Battier and Nate James and, you know, our two walk ons J.D. and Ryan Callback, um, had a team meeting. Like, hey, man, coaches never lied to us. Like, hey, let's buy into what he's doing, what he's saying. And, you know, like, let's just let's just go all in. Let's go for it. And, you know, at that time, coach comes in. He's like, you know, we're going to change the way we play a little bit. And yeah, I was coming off the bench at the time. Uh, so he was like, Chris, you know, you're going to come start in for Nate. Nate, you're OK with that? You know, Nate was like, you know, yeah, I'm good, coach. <laughs> you know, Casey, you're coming in. You know, obviously, to fill in for booze. You know, I want you to run the court. Uh, you know, and scream for Shane. Like, your only job offensively is to get Shane open. And he was like, can you do that? And he was like, yeah. And then we had some other role guys, Matt Christensen, Reggie Love. You know, he kind of explained what their roles were going to be. And then he was like, hey, we're going to play fast. He's like, if you're open, shoot the three. <laughs> you know, like, just shoot it. Like, we're going to play fast. We're going up and down. And then that practice that we had, I mean, it was – basically a track meet. I mean, we're just a lot of running, a lot of sprinting, like, you know, it was like preseason conditioning all over again. And, you know, with the, the mindset of, hey, this is how fast we have to play. And again, going into Carolina, which was actually the perfect team to kind of try this on because, you know, Carolina's uh, usually a team that always has depth at the big man spot. They always play big lineups. You know, they had Brendan Haywood, Julius Peppers, uh, Chris Lang. Uh, so they were, 
their front line was like usually always big. Uh, they had Jason Capel, who was like six seven, six nine, Forte. Uh, so they were really a big team, but you know they played slow. So, and we, I mean, we win the game, and I mean, I think we set the record at the time for three points attempted and three points made, and uh, you know we just you know we just ran up and down the court and and then played our game. And uh, I think us beating Carolina then gave us the confidence moving forward. And then uh, you know the ACC tournament, you know we played. Maryland that year, Maryland was really good. That was our biggest rivalry at the time that year with, you know, Juan Dixon, Steve Blake, and those guys. And, you know, we're able to beat them in the semifinals. And that gave us even more confidence that we played Carolina again in the championship. And we were like, they have nothing for us. We're going to, we're going to bust their ass. And <laughs> we did. I think we ended up winning by like 20 or 30 points that game. And, uh, so we were very, very confident going in. And then at the same time, we knew there was a chance Boozer would be back. Uh, mm -hmm. So we were just like, hey, let's just keep rising. Let's just keep riding the ship. And then, you know, we're going to get Booze back. And then we're definitely, we definitely know we're going to have a chance. So, uh, you know, one of our first two games, you know, then we go down to California and then we play, you know, U we play USC, then UCLA, or no, actually vice oh, wow. versa. And then, and then uh, Boozer came back for the USA, USC game. And we kind of, you know, walked him in. He didn't start, but he came in, played big minutes. But then at that time, Casey was playing amazing, doing what Coach asked him to do. You know, Reggie Love, who was a football player, 6'4", 6'5", he was playing center for us. So mm -hmm. he's playing bigs and boxing out bigs and doing a great job. Uh, Matt Christensen, you know, Nick, all these guys, you know, that didn't play a lot of minutes before has gained a lot of confidence. So we ended up eventually becoming a deeper team. Um, and, you know, we just had it rolling. And then obviously Jay Will and, and Shane Battier, you know, were, you know, players of the year. So, and they played like that throughout the whole tournament. Uh, so and then once we got to the final four, uh, you know, we, we were confident. We played Maryland again, for, you know, for the fourth time. And, uh, we just we just knew we had a psychological advantage of them because you know that year was the miracle minute. Uh, we beat them in the ACC tournament with a tip in at the end, beat them by two. Oh wow! Um, you know, pr pretty much, I want to say almost every game they went up double digits on us at some point in the game, and we you know always walked them down. And you know, same thing happened in in the final four. They go up twenty two points, and you know, coach calls a timeout, and he's like. It's like, I mean, y'all can't play any worse. What are you scared of? He's uh, <laughs> like, you think he's gonna be? You think you're gonna be more embarrassed if you lose by forty? Like, just go out and play. He said, don't look at the bench. We're not calling any plays. Y'all just go out and play. And you know that's what we did. We just went out and played. And you know, I think we cut it down to eight uh, by halftime. And then again, we just knew we had the psychological advantage over them that year. And we just knew it was a matter of time. Like, hey, we just start off solid. You know, we're going to walk them down and we're going to win this game. And, you know, we did that and then played Arizona in a championship game. And, you know, we were just confident. And, you know, Mike Dunleavy was huge for us during that time, who he was kind of struggling a little bit in the tournament shooting. And, you know, he came up big and, and, and made a lot of big shots for us. And, uh, you know, at that time, it was just like nothing else was going to deny us from, you know, winning this championship. We 
we worked too hard. We overcame a lot of stuff and, you know, we were together as a team and, um, you know, and we were able to get the job done. I mean, honestly, to be honest with you, to be able to relive that moment again and be able to re relive those moments, like I can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it. I can hear how much excitement <laughs> it brought you. Like, like to be able to even just hear that, like the, the, to the reminder of who was on that team, you had about six or seven future NBA players on that team. You know what I mean? So, like, to be able to yeah. kind of be able to, to win that your freshman year, that obviously allowed you to be able to become the guy you were moving forward for the Redford Duke University and for your pro basketball career. But I got to ask you, though, how did Coach K be able to met, uh, uh, met, manage all you guys, all that personality to say, you know what? It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you guys. It's bigger than all of us. But if we do it together, we're going to be able to be successful. Yeah, I mean, you just hit it. That's, that was his message, basically. Like, you know, Duke basketball is bigger than any one of you guys. Like, you know, there was guys before you that helped get the program to where it is now. There are going to be guys after you that's going to bring it to an even higher level. Uh, so just come out and do your job. Like, mm -hmm. And, you know, Coach K is very particular in, you know, who he goes and recruits. Like, so, you know, he's not a guy that's going to go out and offer 10 guys you know, scholarships mm -hmm. and then just kind of like whatever, like he's very particular. Like I'm, I have my focus on three or four guys and, you know, that's what I'm doing. Or however many as possible during that year, you know, that's what his main focus on. And he tries to get guys who are going to buy in, who are willing to sacrifice and understand that, you know, we have a common goal. Our common goal is to go and be the best team we could possibly be and try to win, you know, national championships. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of the guys we had. And, you know, I could say he brings a lot of us in. You know, a lot of us have talent. A lot of us have – we're willing to sacrifice. I mean, you know, that – you know, to that championship team, like, you know, one of the, the key factors and one of the main reasons we were able to be so good was that, you know, we had Dante Jones as a transfer who, who couldn't play, who was also a future, future uh, pro. Mm -hmm. And, you know – him going against him in practice every day with him running with the scout team just made us a better team. I mean, you know, we're going against a pro every day and he's out there on a mission treating those practices as his games. You know, some guys who are not going to play can kind of mail it in and just be like, well, I'm just do what I have to do this year and then I'll turn it on next year when I get the opportunity to play. You know, he didn't do that at all. Like he treated the practices like that was his games and he came out and gave us you know great looks you know every every single time in practice and you know you just gain that confidence like hey I'm going against this guy who's going to be a pro and you know every single day like you know there's nothing that any other team can throw at me that I haven't seen and you know just coach does a great job of just making it about the team you know making it all about Duke about the brotherhood about the family and, you know, basically saying, hey, we, you know, we win, you all win individually, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't have to go out and try to beat a man or be, the, you know, a super, you know, superhero. You know, we have a lot of guys that are capable of playing and playing at a high level, mm -hmm. you know, so just trust in one another and, you know, good things will happen. I could talk about Duke basketball all day long, to be honest with you. I could hear stories about Duke basketball all day long, but, you know, we don't have that much time. So I want to move on to your NBA career. You know, in 2004, you got drafted by the Chicago Bulls in the second round with the 38th pick. After be, after uh, doing four years at Duke University, learning from Coach K, 
playing with all those NBA players, how rewarding did it feel to finally get your moment of being drafted in the NBA? Uh, I mean, it was great. I mean, it was great. Um, it was something that I, I worked on and, you know, that was, you know, that was your dream, um, you know, but, you know, at the same time, you know, the reality also set in because, uh, you know, as a second round player, you know, your contract is not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. So you still had to go and prove yourself and prove that you belong. And, you know, a lot, what a lot of teams would do with second rounders are, is either send them overseas for a year or, you know, cause the G league was, wasn't that popular then. Like, I think there are only like eight or nine teams. And, you know, usually if you, you went to the D league at the time, uh, you know, you wasn't coming back out, mm -hmm. you know, it was just kind of, it wasn't developed as it is now to where now, you know, is a real opportunity. You go to the G league and you play well, you know, some team is going to give you an opportunity uh, you know, to prove yourself on the next level. So, you know, I basically had to make the team and, um, you know, but, you know, the stuff that I learned at Duke and, you know, my competitive nature and, you know, loving challenges and loving to be doubted and to go and proving people wrong. Um, you know, I was able to go and, and perform well in summer league and, and in our training camp. Um, and then I made the team and, uh, and then played a significant role with that team. You definitely did. You definitely did. But I got to ask you, though, what was your welcome to the NBA moment? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, you know, you you always hear, and I think it's probably with every sport, you know, kind of the, the rookie hazing that they do. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, some, some people take it overboard. We didn't. So, I mean, Chicago, we were a young team. Um, you know, we had uh, eventually six rookies that were on that team, you know, five of us played significant minutes. Uh, Kirk Heimrich was on that team who was in his second year. Uh, we had Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry, who both came straight out of high school. They were in their fourth year, but, you know, I was older than them. Um, but we had really good vets. We had Adrian Griffin and we had um, Eric Piekowski and um, Antonio Davis. Uh, so... Yeah, Toronto legend, Toronto so, legend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, our our job was to bring Krispy Kreme donuts to practice every day. <laughs> like every morning, bring Krispy Kreme. Now, the, the difficult part about it is that the only Krispy Kreme shop is like 30 minutes away from the uh -oh. practice. So, <laughs> you know, someone had to, and we had a rotation amongst the rookies, like, hey, this is your week, this is your week, this is your week. So we started doing that, you know, but then, you know, by the time we started getting, the, the thing is that you go and you get these donuts and no one eats it. Like not one person takes like a donut. Like, so you're bringing Krispy Kreme donuts every day and no one is eating them. Like there's <laughs> literally like boxes just stacked up yeah. of full Krispy Kreme donuts. So, you know, we're like, man, no one's eating it. Season started again, like I said, Five of us rookies had significant roles. So we're like, man, we're not doing this no more. Like, it's just a waste of time and money and, you know, all this type of stuff. So we stopped doing it. And, you know, no one said anything. So we're going. Then we have our West Coast trip. So, you know, usually, you know, teams on the East Coast will have a West Coast trip, you know, twice a year uh, where you, you're on the road basically for, you know, two weeks, you know, two and a half weeks. 
And, you know, you, you get per diem, which is, is really, really good when you're going on the West Coast trip again, because you're gone for like two. So we're all excited. We're about to get this, you know, free per diem cash. And we're excited about it because it's going to be a lot of money. And, you know, uh, Fred, who's our trainer, who's in charge of it, you know, he comes and, you know, you have to sign the paper so you can make sure that everyone gets it. And <clears throat> we're signing it. And big AD, you know, your guy was standing right behind him. And I, every rookie that got there, she just reached over, grabbed their envelope, uh, grabbed their envelope, took all our per diem. And we're like, yo, like, what's going on? Is that you motherfuckers stop bringing donuts. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, are you serious? <laughs> are you, uh, you know, we're talking about like six, seven thousand dollars in cash right now that you're going to be having and takes up a deal. So at first I'm like, all right, you know, it's going to be a, it's a rookie lesson. Yep. AD, we get it. Like he's going to hand it back to us like in two days or something like that. Nope. Next practice takes all our envelopes, oh. puts it in the middle half court and they shoot for it and we're not allowed to shoot for it. So they shoot half court shots for all our per diem um, and we're not allowed to shoot. So we got to sit there and watch someone win all of our money. And it was like, we damn sure going to have donuts there the next day. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, I spoke too soon on the AD. So my apology for bringing back to PTSD with that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, AD was the best. I love AD. That's my guy. <laughs> oh my god! But I, I got to ask you though on the on that on that uh, Chicago team as well. You had, like you said, you mentioned you had six six rookies on that team. Who else was on that team? Um, so Lou Aldang, Ben Gordon, uh, Andre Snocioni, who's from Argentina, uh, but he was a he was an older rookie because uh, you know he obviously played in Argentina for a while. Uh, myself. And we had uh, Jared Reiner, uh, who played at Iowa, a uh, big kid uh, that played at Iowa. Uh, except Kirk, Eddie, Tyson, Othella Harrington, uh, AD, Gennaro Pargo, uh, Eric Piakowski, mm. um, may, maybe missing a few guys here or there, uh, or kind of mixing up here. I don't know if Darius Singala was there yet. Or he came the following year. No, I think he was in Washington. He came uh, to uh, the next year. But yeah, that was kind of our our main group um, at that time. That group could have been cold if y'all didn't figure it out and it stuck together for a long period of time. Obviously, it was, it was a rebuild rebuild year with the with the younger guys and stuff like that. Um, but I do got to ask you though, how cold was Ben Gordon? Oh, Ben was nice, man. Uh, scoring the ball at his size. Uh, I mean, he can handle it. He can shoot it from anywhere. Uh, he had an amazing float game, uh, great finishing package. Uh, yeah, I mean, and BG was a guy. And, you know, the way we played, we were a defensive team. Scott Skiles was a defensive-minded coach. You know, so we, you know, we really, uh, you know, hung our hat on playing really good defensively. Uh, but then, you know, Ben was, ben was our closer, you know. So whenever we got in the fourth quarter and, any type of close game and things like that, you know, we we depended a lot on on BG to to be that score for us, and he, I mean, he did a hell of a job for us. I mean, I think he won six man of the year mm -hmm. um, that year, um, you know, as a rookie. And um, I mean, he, you know, especially especially in Madison Square Garden, I don't know, mm -hmm. he called it Madison Square Garden, but 
because uh, I guess all his Big East times and you know that Big East championship is always at Madison oh. Square Garden. So he's had some big moments there, and you know before then. But every time we were in the Garden, you know you can you can pretty much mark up thirty plus, you know, because mm -hmm. he was going to put on a show. <laughs> <laughs> New York, New York should have signed him. They should have tried to trade for him. As they should have done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I got to ask you, though, obviously, you know, in university, you were at the top of the chain, went, winning the NCAA championship, playing for Duke University, and also playing for one of, if not the best divisions in the NCAA, the ACC. And from 2004 all the way to 2013, you had the luxury of playing in some, in some very high-level type cities, <clears throat> type, type uh, stadiums, MSG, you know, Chicago, also the Staples Center. You also played with some superstars during your time in the NBA. Can you talk to us about what it took for you and most pros to stay in the league longer than five years, but to also be able to play with these superstars and accept their roles? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's what it comes down to is just kind of you have to find your niche. You know, like everybody has a niche uh, and you got to find your niche and be really, really good at your niche you know, for, for you to be able to stay, you know, in the league. You know, I think sometimes when guys get drafted, they get comfortable and thinking that, you know, they're safe. You know, it's, it's, you know, this is not college. This is not where you get a scholarship and you have a scholarship basically for four years and, uh, you you know, you're safe. Like, you know, you got to remember there's a draft the next year with mm -hmm. 30 guys that's going to be guaranteed and 60 guys that get drafted that are hungry and trying to, you know, so you're on you're in an audition every single practice, every single game, you're auditioning, you know, not even – you know, not only for your team, but for all the other teams in the league, uh, because you never know with trades or whenever you're a free agent, you know, those type of things. Uh, you know, you want to, uh, you know, develop a resume that, you know, teams want to have you on their team and uh, and for you to continue to have the opportunity to play at that level. Um, and then, so, yeah, you got to find it. You know, everyone's not going to be Kobe. Everyone's not going to be LeBron. Everybody's not going to be these superstar type guys, but, you know, what is your niche? What do you bring to a team that can help them win games? And, you know, once you find that, you know, you perfect that. And that doesn't mean you can't get better and try to, you know, expand your game. But, you know, you better be really, really good at what your niche is. And then once you have that, then you can go expand your game. You know, a lot of guys come in and, you know, you know, you're getting drafted and you're probably the man at your college. And, you know, if you're not, you know, one of those lottery pick type guys, you know, you're most likely going to be a role player at the beginning, you know, of your career. And so for you to be able to humble yourself and, you know, continue to work hard, continue to be a pro and, you know, do what it takes for the team to win, then eventually if you're that dude, your time will come. Um you know, playing with superstars, you know, they, they expect you to do, you know, do your job, basically. You know, they, they know who they are. The organization knows who the man is in there. So, you know, if there's any confusion, you know, you can easily just walk up to the front office and they'll let you know that, you know, who's the guy in, real. in that real. locker room. Yeah. <laughs> so, real. you know, hey, are, are you going to help us, you know, try to win a championship or are you going to be a distraction? And, you know, if you're the latter, you know, you're going to get traded, you're going to get cut, um, you know, and, you know, those guys talk, you know, so, you know, you know, if you get a bad reputation with one team being this, you know, it could be hard for you, 
you know, to be able to get join another team knowing that, you know, you have baggage or you're not a guy that's willing to sacrifice, you know, for the good of the team. So, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to find my niche, uh, you know, do it at a high level. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to have, you know, a, a pretty long career. You were a great defender, you know, watching some of your highlights again, always reminding myself that you you could, you know, really strap up, you know, 45 feet or whatever, or 54 feet or whatever it is, uh, NBA court size is. And you always were able to get in the passing lane, steal the ball, get in people's shit and make sure they make it very difficult for point guards to have on every single day. But you got to play with a point guard in particular, two-time MVP and also Canadian as well. Me being Canadian, I'm a bit biased. So, you know, it is what it is. But <laughs> I got to ask you, though, what were you, What was it like learning from Steve Nash? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I always studied Steve because, I mean, Steve was, you know, one of the best point guards, you know, to ever do it, you know, especially that style that they had. Well, one, I, you know, he was one of my you know, favorite players. I used to love him at Dallas, you know, with him and Dirk and those guys. And then, you know, when he got to Phoenix, you know, he just took it to a different level. Um, and, you know, I, in a way, kind of got cheated because, you know, our time in L.A., you know, he was hurt. You know, he was hurt pretty much the whole year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of the, his stuff he was doing was – you know, outside of the team because he was trying to get back healthy and, uh, he, you know, he'll be there for games and, you know, I would get the chance to pick his brain and, you know, see how he see the game. But as far as really being able to be a teammate and watch him on the floor do his thing, um, he wasn't able to do it. You know, his just injuries uh, just prevented him from being able to do that. So, but uh, at the end of the day, again, being able to talk to him, talk to him about the game, what he sees, you know, how he's, uh, you know, thinking, you know, four, five, six plays ahead, how he's reading the defense and setting them up for, you know, how he's going to exploit them later. Um, you know, it was just an honor to, like, be around him and, you know, understand the game from him. And, you know, when he got the head coaching job, I, you know, I knew as far as X's and O's and, you know, being able to have his team ready to play on the court, like he would do a great job. Like obviously there's more that comes to being a head coach, but as far as like the basketball stuff, I knew that, uh, you know, he would have those guys playing the right way. Now, this might be a bit controversial. If you don't want to answer, I completely understand. But um, knowing that of, of how good of a guy Steve Nash is and how good of a coach he is and that, this is how, he, how much of a good understanding he is. When Kyrie Irving came out and said, we don't need a coach, we don't need Steve Nash, we don't need – whoever it is to be our coach, knowing him, knowing Steve Nash, what did, how did that make you feel? And did you agree with that, those statements? No, not at all. I mean, <clears throat> you know, all these, uh, a lot of guys feel like they don't need a coach, but like, you know, the coaching is very, very important um, and in a, a team success. Um, <clears throat> you know, Kyrie's just thinking, and this is my opinion, I, you know, I haven't talked to him or, ask him about it but you know he's just thinking hey we you know we got Kevin Durant we got James Harden you know the style of basketball we're gonna play you know we're just you know we're basically hooping like so it's basically we're playing pickup you know we got you know three of the top scorers you know in the league and you know that's all we have to do you know for us to go out you know and beat anybody and to beat anybody I don't think he 
meant it in a way as far as like, yeah, like coaches are overrated or we don't need a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it's also <clears throat> different or it can be tough when, when, you know, your coach is someone you've competed against. You know what I mean? It's someone that, <clears throat> you know, you've played against and uh, he's, you know, just a little bit older than you and, you know, those type of things um, to where, you know, in a sense, he kind of still feels like a player, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's not playing, but, you know, kind of the relationship and the respect you have for him is more on the player inside than, you know, an actual, you know, coach. Right. Um, so, you know, knowing Steve, I know, I know he didn't take it, you know, any type of way. Um, you know, I think we kind of all understood what he was basically saying, just like, hey, man, we have three of the top scorers in the league that, you know, we just going out there and hooping like there's and there's no one that can guard our three of us. And, um, you know, I just think he was just a, a poor choice of word wording at that time. I don't think he really meant to demean Steve Nash at all. Fair enough, fair enough. And hopefully he didn't because that's a MVP right there. So to disrespect him <laughs> is, is crazy. And the amount, of, the amount of knowledge he could learn from him because Steve Nash used to be with, with Golden State before. And to be honest with you, he was actually, in my opinion, and my this is my opinion only and take it for whatever it is. But I really feel like Steve Nash helped Steph Curry become the basketball player that he is today. So when Kyrie kind of said that he didn't need Steve Nash, I'm looking at him saying, you know, a lot of eyebrows, a lot of question marks, a lot of uncertainty with, with that statement. So I, I do agree with what you said, though, in terms of they probably look at it saying, listen, we have three of the best players in the NBA right now. Why do we need a coach to run any sets or anything of that nature? We can we can just get up and down and run. And like you said, play pickup. So I agree with you on that. But I got one last question mm-hmm. for you here before we get to our quick hitters. Um, how much different were NBA practices compared to Duke practices? Oh, a lot different, <laughs> a lot different. Um, you know, you know, because you play so many games. You play an eighty-two game <clears throat> a season. So, you know, once the season starts, your practices are, um, you know, not very, not often, and you know, not very long because you know, you're playing so many games back to back to back to back to back that you know you want guys to be fresh and have their legs for the, for those games. Uh, you know, in college, the games, especially once you get into the conference, you know, they're so spread out to where, you know, practice is, is very important because you want to kind of keep that momentum that you're building. You want to keep playing well. You want to keep your chemistry going well. Um, so you practice more and you practice longer uh, just so, you know, you're not playing as many games. Uh, you know, in NBA, you're playing so many games that practices tend to mostly are tune-ups and, you know, kind of guys getting workouts in, you know, tweaking some things offensively, tweaking some things defensively that, you know, maybe you've been struggling with. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's kind of guys, you know, continue to, you know, want to improve on their games, but also just taking care of their body. So it's more like making sure you're getting your weights in, making sure you're getting your treatment in, your massages, you know, and those type of things. Enough. I love to hear it. Hopefully these, these kids are going to listen to the podcast. They're going to appreciate that answer because a lot of people ask me, coach, what's different of NBA compared to university? I've, I've never played in the NBA, so I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> so to be able to hear that, that was a great comparison. I appreciate yeah. that, that honest answer. Uh, quick hitters for you. Uh, favorite rapper of all time? Uh, I'm going to go with Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Okay. Can't go wrong with, with, with Jay-Z. Yeah. It's tough because, I mean, I've 
grew up in New Orleans, so I'm a big Lil Wayne fan too. But okay, <clears throat> I think Jay Jay Z kind of uh, kind of kept this steady a lot longer. Uh, you know, Wayne kind of been in and out, you know, for a couple of years lately. So you know, I'm hoping to get the old Wayne back some point. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I like I like Lil Wayne to be honest with you. Uh, one of one of my favorites. One of my favorite songs of all time. Is by Little Wayne, Fireman. And I, I, I told Randy, yeah. like that was one of my favorite songs by Little uh, by Little <laughs> Wayne. Um, if you were to put together an NBA team, who in the NBA right now would you build your team around? Mm. Oh man, that's tough. Uh, right now, I would have to say Giannis. Okay, uh, I would have to right right now. You know. Obviously, you know LeBron is is still the best guy, but I think what Giannis, Giannis and KD are close second. But I think with Giannis, uh, his ability to guard multiple positions, um, the way that he plays the game—I mean, he plays hard every single game, mm -hmm. um, and he's and he's so young. He's going to get better. His shooting's going to get better because he puts in the work. Um, but I just think he's a winner, and you can surround him. Um, with guys that uh, that fit fit him a lot better, uh, a little bit than KD. I mean, I think KD's right there, but KD's a little bit older and and had some injury uh, issues in the past. So I, I would go with Giannis. Can't go wrong with that. For NBA champion, <clears throat> NBA champion, cannot go wrong with that. If you were able to have a one on one conversation with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? Oh man, uh, hmm, that's a good one. Oh man, um, I would probably say, um, Martin Luther King, um, Jr., sir. Um, yes, sir, just because, uh, you know, you know. I experienced, you know, probably not to the, the extent that he has, but uh, I experienced a lot of uh, the issues that he's dealt with, that he fought for. Um, and, you know, I just want to know, like, you know, where did he get the courage and, and the confidence to just continue to to move on, move on when there is a lot of doors slammed in his faces and a lot of no's and a, a lot of, you know, tragedies that were happening around him because of the cause that he was fighting for, for him to continue to have that strength to keep pushing and not letting those things deter him from, you know, continue to move on and fight, uh, you know, for these things. Um, you know, I just think that takes a very strong and special man to be able to do that. Yes, sir. I can't, I can't go wrong. I can't, you can't go wrong with that one. I can't disagree with you, to be honest with you. I've learned, you know, I've learned, <laughs> I've learned a lot about black history this past year, especially with everything going on. Um, I actually, I was engaged to a black woman. So, you know, she was able to teach me a lot of things and, and a lot of things I learned about Martin Luther King, a lot of things I learned about, you know, even um, uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, people like that mm -hmm. I've been able to, to educate myself on. And so for that in itself, shout out to you for that one. I would even love to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Martin Luther King as well. So, you know, if, yeah. if yeah, that's great answer. Great answer. I'm with you on that one all the way. If you could star in a movie as anyone in the world, who would it be? If I can what? Sorry, let me let me rephrase that question. 
if somebody was to do a movie on you and you had to hire an, uh, a celebrity or an actor to play <laughs> you, who would you play? Who would yeah. play? <laughs> oh man, um, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> We got we 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 got it at two three chop at the top of the zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I would. Some have two people. I would say Jamie Fox because I just think he's incredible with his talent to be able to act, sing, like comedian, like you know all those type of things. Um, I mean, I think he's just so good in all those areas. Um, but I would probably say Michael B. Jordan because he. Kind of looks like me a little bit, <laughs> and I and I know I know all the women would go and watch the movie. So, you, you already know, uh, you know. Yeah, I gotta I gotta try to get one of these Oscars or something like that, <laughs> Grammys, whatever they are, Oscars. <laughs> he he, he don't help like me it. get one of them. I like yeah, the logical. Yeah, he don't help me get one of those. <laughs> that was a great. Answer. That was a great answer. <laughs> I got two more for you here, and then and then we're we're gonna conclude the show. If you could describe Coach K in one word, what would it be? Leader. Um, I mean, he's just a leader of men. Um, you know the way he carries himself. He understands that uh, he has to carry himself in a way that you know. Uh, People will want to follow him. People will trust him. Um, and, you know, that he's not going to let you down. And now I think he's showed that throughout his career as a coach. And, you know, his leadership, you know, extends on and off the court. Like he's, you know, a friend. He's a father figure. He's, you know, all this to so many different guys. And, uh, you know, he does a great job of bringing us all back. You know, once we leave Duke, it's not like, all right, you did your time here. Like, you know, talk to you whenever, you know, he does an amazing job of keeping in contact with all of us, making sure we keep in contact with, you know, guys that we play with and also guys that are playing now and guys in the past. And uh, his leadership uh, is uh, something that is admirable and, you know, not many people can do. I definitely go catch a game, a new game mm -hmm. with him being his, uh, I guess we could call it his last dance, you know, so I definitely gotta go, yeah. go, 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 go catch a new game this year for sure, for sure. I got to ask you one last question, though. This is a tough one. As you know, this podcast is designed around to try to bring in, uh, uh, knowledge for kids and to try to make sure that kids get uh, enlightened by different by our guests and things of that nature. Who is someone that you think has a very good story that you could help us get on to talk your exposure? Um, I think... I think Jay Williams uh, has a, I mean, he has an incredible story. I mean, you know, him being national player of the year, number number two draft pick, getting into a motorcycle accident, mm. ending his career, not knowing what's next in his life, you know, attempted suicide, um, and then found his way again. And uh, now he's, you know, ESPN analyst for basketball and has his own radio show and doing a lot of things, uh, you know, business wise. Um, yeah, I think he, he, he has a, he has an incredible story um, that, you know, a lot of kids uh, should hear and listen to because, you know, 
when, when, you know, when you're in high school and you're, you know, high school All-American or even college, you know, college All-American, you know, you kind of feel at times that you're, you know, that nothing can happen to you. Like you can just do anything and, uh, you know, tomorrow is promised. And, you know, you never know that just, you know, one bad decision here or one mishap or one unfortunate incident, you know, can can change your trajectory. And, you know, you have to be able to, uh, you know, be humble. You have to be able to uh, be willing to fight and overcome that type of adversity, understanding that life still goes on and that, you know, you're capable of doing other things. If, you know, one door closes, you know, that doesn't mean there's, you know, another door can open. And um, I think he's just a perfect example for that, you know, because he was, you know, he was on his way to, you know, being, you know, an all-star and, you know, and those type of things. Like he started figuring it out. His, I think his last 20, 25 games, you know, in Chicago, he was averaging like 22 and nine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, the sky was the limit for him. He, you know, he was figuring out the NBA game. Uh, you know, his next year was going to be really big because they were going to get a new coach. Who I think if he had scouts, uh, who was a, a former point guard who loves his guards was, you know, probably going to give him the ball and, you know, let him be who he is. Um, and then he had that unfortunate accident. Uh, but for him to have that that dark period of time to kind of find himself and and then to rise above it. And now he's doing, you know, amazing things, you know, on TV and you know, on the radio and, you know, also, you know, in, in the community, um, you know, I think it's just, uh, a testament to who he is, a testament to the people around him um, that, you know, helped him. Because, you know, all of us, we're, places that we get, we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah. Uh, like, you need help. You need a support. There's going to be tough times where you're doubting yourself, you know, so you need someone to have your back, but you also need someone to, you know, to tell you the truth. You know, yeah. there's a lot of guys that have uh, yes men who just tell people what they want to hear. You know, when you have true friends, guys that really care about you, that tell you what you need to hear and that are willing to sacrifice and help you achieve your goals without having anything benefit for them, um, you know, that's that's very important, that's very special, and that's very rare. Um, so when you do find those people, uh, it's very important that you keep them close uh, because those are your true friends. And you know, his story is about that, you know, like, you know, I was always staying in contact with them and just words of encouragement and, uh, you know, just always let him know that I was there for him uh, in any way or capacity, even if it was just to pick up the phone and let him vent for 30 minutes or an hour, yeah. uh, you know, whatever he needed to get into the right mental space to understand that he had people here that cared about him, um, that were here to fight with him, to fight for him. And, you know, now he's turned that into a successful, uh, you know, TV career with ESPN and, you know, and all the other business ventures that he's doing now. Honestly, that was very, very well said, man. And honestly, like, even when I when I did some research on him as well, because, you know, I like to learn more about different people and things of that nature. I didn't even know that he was trying to commit suicide or whatever the case was. So for that to even kind of come out, man, to see where he's at now, knowing the, the stuff, the trauma that he's went through, knowing the type of uh, uh, motorcycle accidents that he, that he was in, knowing what could have been for him, he could have just said, yeah, I'm off myself and, and, and bye. 
But no, he said, I'm going to mm -hmm. continue to persevere. I'm going to push through everything. And like you said, man, like he got the help that he needed. And look at him now. He's, he's an inspiration mm -hmm. to a lot of people. And, you know, for you to be able to talk about that right that right then and there, man, that was very well said. And couldn't have been, couldn't have been said any better on Talk Your Exposure. You know what I mean? <laughs> But. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it's and I think it's a very important like like I think, you know, and I think is I think it's great that you see a lot more athletes coming out and being, you know, more public about their mental health issues and things like that. Um, like, I think it's important like like people understand that it's it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, you know, like you know, us as men, we feel like if we ask for help, that's like a, a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when you're an athlete, you know, you're a competitor, you're pushing yourself to the limits. You're trying to get yourself in the best shape, trying to get the best, you know, jump shot or make the best catch or make the best pass. And like everything you have, you do has to be perfect. And, you know, that's draining, yeah. that's draining physically and mentally. Yeah. And, you know, there's times where, you know, you need someone just to be able to talk to and help you stay in the right mindset, especially when things start to go wrong. Like if you're, you know, man, I'm waking up at five in the morning every day and I'm working out three, four times a day and I'm taking care of my body and, and I'm playing like shit. Like, I don't understand it. Like what, you know, and then, you know, you start playing mind games with yourself. So, you know, to be able to, you know, I think that shows a lot of courage for you to be able to say like, look, Hey, I can't do this on my own. You know, I need help. Like, you know, that's not a sign of weakness. That is actually a sign of strength and courage. And, you know, I encourage people to, when they do feel alone or they do feel like things are kind of getting too tough for them to handle on their own, you know, to, to reach out and get the help that they need because it's very, very important. Yeah, and and honestly, you're, you're right about that, man. And I feel that a couple of years ago, DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love openly talked about it as well. And then and when they opened up and talked about it, they got a lot of praise for it as well. So you're 100% right about that. It's, they definitely do not be afraid to express yourself and don't be afraid to talk about how you feel because there are people out there that care about, you know, us, us as men, us as people, us as human beings, and everybody in this world will definitely find the love one way or another. Um, but, but, man, that was... I just need a moment to just kind of bask in what you just said because that was just, <laughs> that was very very well said, man. And and I'm not just saying that just to say that, but I appreciate those type of honest answers and those type of honesty on you know in general, like on the show, off the show, it doesn't really matter when it is. It just I just appreciate that kind of stuff because even for me as a person, as a man, as a coach, as a as a as a son, not a father yet, but as a son. You know, I want to always be the best man that I can be for anybody that's around me. And I want to be able to motivate as much people as I can, as I can motivate. So for you to be able to say that right now, you hit it right on the nose with that, man. And honestly, I wish we were able to talk about mental health. I wish I put that in, in, in for today's show, because now knowing this, man, this we could have had a different dialect about this. But hopefully one day again, we can get back on here again, maybe on a live or whatever it might be, and talk about mental health, especially during Mental Health Month in, in January, because, you know, off or on record, but I actually, I was, I was depressed for a long period of time until recently I got some, I got some help. I got some therapy. I, I, I'm now vocal with, with myself as well. And I'm able to actually talk to people and, and I'm being as free and as genuine and as real as I've ever been before. So, you know, the fact you just kind of hit on something that obviously I'm, you know, is touchy, touchy subject for me as well. So for you mm -hmm. to touch up on that, man, that means a lot to me for somebody, you know, as a man 
who held a lot of stuff inside for a long period of time, who went through depression, who thought about suicide, who, you know, any negative thing that you could think of, I thought about it in every way possible. So I appreciate you being able to talk about that openly and say, listen, if you need anybody at any point in time, not necessarily just to me, just generally, you know, for the reach out to the people you need to, they are there for you. And I learned that the, the right mm -hmm. way. So, you know, shout out for you on that. And, and, and if, you know, I hope that one day I can talk to, talk to Jay as well, because I would love to be able to kind of pick his brain a little bit and kind of see, you know, what made him not want to do certain things. So if you can make that connection, man, that'd be, that'd be truly an honor. And I would really appreciate that. But you know, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll shoot him a, uh, I'll call him and shoot him an email uh, tonight. Appreciate that, my man. Appreciate that. But Chris, one more, one last time before we get going, where can we find you on social media? Oh, man, I'm not a big social media guy. I mean, I, I do have, I don't tweet or I don't do any of that stuff. <laughs> uh, but I, I uh, my Instagram is CDU21. CDU21, okay. Uh, yeah, that's my Instagram. And sure, I have to look up my Twitter. But, like, again, I mean, I wouldn't follow me because I don't tweet. I just kind of use it as, <laughs> as information stuff, like, just to find out what's going on. Uh, it's at CDuhan official. I don't even know who came up with that. And probably, I think that was my mom. <laughs> well, I, I just gave you, a, I just gave you a follow. So if you see talk your exposure on on uh, on your page, you know, on your on your Instagram page, that is def that is us. Um, but okay. again, but again, Chris, you know, we thank you very much for your time, man. And honestly, I hope you had a lot of fun on today's show. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot about you. You're honestly a very great person to talk to. You know, a Duke Blue Devil, which for me, like I said earlier, I envy you, but in a positive way. You know what I mean? I, I'm very happy that you were able to jump on today and I was able to have a conversation with you. I'm hoping that we're able to have more conversations like these down the line, especially now that I know you want to be a mental health or you are a mental health advocate as well. I would love to be able to t pick your brain a little bit about that as well down the line too. So one more time again, Chris, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to be able to talk to you soon. Hey, thank you. And then, yeah, just let me know. And uh, I'm more than willing to jump back on at any time.